Hello and welcome to East Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And uh, it's Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Well, it's two true. days before Christmas. Uh, uh, and last night we saw Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. Yes. The third final film in the Star Wars trilogies. Yeah. I'm sure there'll be another trilogy soon. Yes. I mean, you think, what does that mean? It just means that they're probably going to come up with, like, a, you know, a different set of characters in the same world. You know? Yeah. Um, first thing I want to say is that I'm not interested in what Star Wars fans thought. You know, no one hates Star Wars like a Star Wars fan. Yeah. I'm, I don't and care either. I don't think they seem to really like it. I don't care. I liked it. Yeah, I liked it. I had I had some problems, and I liked it more once I got into the swing of things. But uh-huh. overall, I thought, no, actually, I, I like this. I not only liked it, but, you know, I kind of I appreciated its production values, mm. you know, because the films we've been seeing lately, you know, they're very good on some levels, but actually they also feel kind of small budget, really. Even even like Cats that we saw, you know, that is quite an expensive film. Yeah. It felt low budget, right? And certainly things like Marriage Story or The Informer, things that I've, I've very much liked, you know, there's something kind of thrilling about seeing massive waves and massive shiny sets and and they feel like it yeah. feels as big as it's supposed to that's right yeah you I know. know what you mean so it's a film that you see the budget kind of you know and I appreciate that yeah I think it's a good point um, we should say right from the beginning let's spoilers the whole way what is it Rey is training to be a Jedi so she can fight Kylo Ren uh, there's stuff like the First Order blah 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 blah. who cares spoilers coming from yeah, here yeah, on, yeah. okay spoilerific review um so I'd say that the, the problem that I had kind of the, with the first 15 minutes before I got into the swing of things is that um, it seemed to have a real kind of response to what the, what the critical fan response had been um, previously, ah. which was it. So in, in, in episode tell me eight... More, tell me more, yeah. Oh, I will tell you more. Yeah. <laughs> in episode eight, I think we kind of thought one of the most interesting decisions that was made in that film was to have Rey not be a part of a big uh, dynasty, a big family. She wasn't a Skywalker, Mm. which is what everybody wanted. She has to turn out to be a Mm. Skywalker. Mm. And then it turned out, no, you're nobody. And, you know, you might be be very powerful in the Force or whatever, but you're not not Mm. an important person. And that kind of, I think, really turned people off. Whereas we thought that was kind of interesting. Mm. But at the start of this, the film is really pushing hard the idea that your parents are important, right? Mm. You know? And even though they're nobody, actually there's a secret. And it, and it pushes it quite hard. Three or four times they make significant mention of the fact her parents are going to come up in this. Which I thought was, was disappointing and kind of a sop to the fans. Yeah, You know? Like the fans wanted this. To the point where, and this is a major spoiler, right at the end of the film, the last line is Ray giving herself the surname Skywalker. Yeah. Because it turns out she's not a Skywalker. She's a Palpatine, which is another thing. Um, but... You know, like it's like saying the fans wanted her to be a Skywalker. We're going to engineer it so she can be. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I also had problems with. Um, I suppose I had problems with it just seeming like a less interesting film because this is directed and co-written by J.J. Abrams again, whereas mm. the last one was Ryan Johnson. And J.J. Abrams uh, did Episode Seven, The Force Awakens, which mm. we never covered on the podcast. It came out before we started doing this, and. That film was a, a, a kind of a caper, right? And it was all about a map. We need to get this map so we can find out where Luke is. Mm. And this film does exactly the same thing. We need to find a map. Mm. Now it's the map to this hidden planet, Exegol, I think. Mm. And that's where Palpatine's hiding. That's where the showdown's going to be. So it has the same thing of just find the thing, go to the place. And it, and it has a, you know, sort of J.J. Abrams, hey guys, sense of adventure. Mm. 
Whereas episode eight had a real sense of, you know, there was no adventure in that. It was the first order is on your tail and you are dwindling in numbers. And the whole point of this film is to try and survive. Had a real sense of threat that J.J. That Abrams films don't have. Well, I don't know. I actually thought this film much, moved much better than uh, the Ryan Johnson. Yeah, I think it moves really swiftly. <laughs> um, I agree. And I thought there was something, it was much more romantic. Uh, I think also it was more mythic. You know, like kind of, you know, the way of lighting and framing and so on is kind of, yeah, evoking that. Um, I also thought it's so interesting because there's a real project behind it. And you can see it in the way that Adam Driver is filmed. Yeah, Adam Driver is filmed as a film star, as a myth or something, right? He's made to be beautiful and huge. And, you know, his posture even, you know, sometimes it's just like you, what you see in statues, right? Mm. Um, so, and I think it's obviously like kind of very deliberately done. You know, the angles and the lenses are there to like flesh him out and kind of, you know, he's really kind of beautiful in this in a way that he's never been in any film before. Yeah, you could argue mm. he's attractive or sexy or whatever. Oh, mind but, you, I think you did argue the same thing in the previous one. Did I? Maybe not to the same extent, but you, you certainly argued he's a sexy figure. You know, he's filmed to be so. Ah, okay. Um, well, then, yeah. you know, I think this is conti- this is this is the most movie star I've seen him in, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that's the work of the filmmakers. It's the deliberate kind of, you know, attempt to, to do that. Uh, and I appreciate it. There was a little moment of his which I absolutely adored, which was a real film star moment, mm. which is when, um, at the end, he's surrounded by all those guards and he's unarmed, and then through the force transfer thing they've mm. invented for this film, he um, gets a lightsaber off Ray. Yes, And I then he that. holds the lightsaber, and he does this little kind of wink or shrug or movement with his head, whatever it was exactly, mm. that just sort of said, i got a lightsaber now, you, yes. aren't, you aren't going to be able to beat me. And it was a real film star moment that yes. I love. And, and really something that I don't expect from Adam Driver in particular. Yes. He never, like, as, as interesting as he is as an actor, I think it would be tough to say he normally has charm. Yeah. But that was a charming moment. Yes. Uh, he's. I mean, he's, you know... I mean, it is the result of a process, right? You could see how his hair has been done and the angles at which he's filmed. And yeah, but it really works in the film. Or it certainly kind of worked for me, you know? Yeah. Actually, I thought my two favorite performances in the film were uh, his and Richard E. Grant's. You, you, you made was, a noise every time Richard E. Grant came on screen. I, and I hate him. Actually, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I really appreciate his performance in this because it's so witty and he's so wittily deployed. I mean, every time he appears, it's almost like, you know, he brings something to the character, you know, because it's almost like a punchline each time or a bit of humor each time. Mm. Right. But it's meant to be a very threatening character, right? Yeah. He's like the new First Order sort of general. Yeah. Very dry and very uh, angry. Yeah, and kind of camp, right? (laughs) Uh, You know, and actually it's not just that his performance is kind of, you know, that ironic, yeah, slightly camp thing. But actually the film does that ironic camp thing with his character as well. So, you know, the, 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 the way he dies, it's almost like a joke. Yeah, yeah, blasts out of a window in a spaceship. Exactly. Yeah, that's you right. Know. And you see it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so I, yeah, I thought he was marvelous, um, and and as I said, you know, I don't normally like him very much. I mean, I sometimes um, think he's very good. You know, so he was very good in that um, um, the film with Melissa McCarthy, where oh, uh, can you ever forgive me? Can you ever forgive me? I thought he was very good in that. 
And he's good in many things, but, you know, he's, I just don't like him for some reason. Mm. But this time, he completely charmed me. Fair enough. We spoke a little bit before we split up yesterday about um, the way in which Ray and Kylo Ren uh, interact. Yes. This, which is a continuation of how they've interacted in the previous films, where there was a very interesting cross-cutting that they did, where you had the shot-reverse-shot conversations between them, but they were in completely different locations across space. But the shot-reverse-shot editing brought them together, and mm. it was fascinating. And this has been developed here into not only do they have these conversations directly with each other through through the Force, but they inhabit each other's spaces in interesting ways. And it's something that becomes part of the film, as I say, like ultimately it becomes a plot development because it's it's a way that she can give him a weapon mm. at the end, like I described. And there's also this this question of he he wants to know where she is and what and where she is is in his quarters on his ship where mm. he isn't. Mm. And it's and it's only through a fight that they have through the force mm. in this kind of middle space that he sees uh, Darth Vader's helmet and that means he knows where she is. Mm. It's a fascinating kind of kind of really fluid and it and it all makes sense, you know. I don't it, it, you never ever question how this is working at all. It's very brilliantly conceptualized and then it's very well imaged. Yeah. And then you were talking about it as a, as a romantic thing because ultimately at the end of this, yes, they kiss. Yes. When um Kylo sacrifices himself. Yes. to okay. save her. I couldn't believe, you know, I don't know if you were also saying this, but I think certainly Stafford was, do you think they're having a romance? Do you think it's a... Uh, how, how could you not see it? <laughs> like, uh, we, we spoke uh, about this uh, again in the, in uh, the previous podcast, and I'd, I'd expressed similar kind of um, ambivalence towards how much of a romantic relationship it was, but you said, and I quote, they're hot for each other. Yes. Um, and uh, But I think it's interesting that, that there's a moment here I felt just before they kiss, when they could have, and they didn't. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And it's only when it's only when it's all kind of all over and, and he's sacrificed himself that it's a kiss. Or no, it's a kiss. To, they have this whole right, thing he saves about, her and then it's a kiss, isn't it? Uh, they have this whole conversation about taking my hand and yeah. I would have taken Ben's hand, but not... That's you right. Know, you know, whatever. And then, like, the whole concept, concept of them is that they are one soul. <laughs> they are like two halves of the same soul or something, right? Like they're, they're kind of twin forces. I mean, you know, that is like almost like an, mm. a, an, an archetypal ancient romantic idea of romantic love, you yeah, know? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and Palpatine is brought back to life Use, like, stealing the power of their bond together. Mm. And he says it, although, although I will say that Palpatine's dialogue every line of dialogue he has is incredibly clunky, including that. He says, you know, he says in a very arch sort of way, it is the power of your bond that gives me life. And it's oh, just, it's all very badly written, his stuff. But... I liked it. Yeah, I didn't, I, I thought that was clunky. <laughs> um, but the the idea that it's pointing at, as you say, it's like, it's, it's absolutely in there. This makes it clearer than it has been in the previous films. And really, really evokes feeling for it as well. Yes. Felt for them. Yes. You know, and I felt... I, I I didn't think it made enough sense that Kylo Ren gave up the Kylo Ren name and turned back to Ben. It, it, you know, he remembers his dad, and there's there's something going on there. But I, it didn't feel motivated enough. But I also forgave it because what it led to was interesting and evocative. Yes, I liked all of that, and I loved the fact that the film now revolves around. Um, Daisy Richards, what's her name? <laughs> Daisy Some, Ridley. Daisy Ridley. Um, so 
you know, I thought it's it's kind of brilliant the way that the film does it. You know, I think it's brilliant the way that the film makes a connection between Carrie Fisher and her. Uh, and I also thought that, you know, the film gave Carrie Fisher a great send-off, mm, uh, you know, kind of narratively. That was lovely to see. And in fact, I love the way that it brought in all of the original cast, actually. You know, because it wasn't like... Um, it didn't feel like a fucking Stan Lee... You know, it felt more motivated uh, than, than yeah. your cameos coming in. The characters did make sense, although I did think it did make me laugh when um, uh, when Ray kind of gives up and goes to that moon that uh, that Luke had marooned himself on and said, "I'm going to give up as well." Yes. And then he shows up out of a five. Oh wow, beautiful, yeah. so evocative! And he shows up in that blue glow that all of the dead, the dead characters in Star Wars have. But then you cut, and they're just like sat down having a chat, yeah. which is kind of funny because like it takes something that is. It is a really beautiful, sort of iconic visual thing, and turns it into something quite basic and standard. Mm. Just, to, just oh, and now I'm having a chat with the ghost. How mm. long does the ghost get to hang out for? You know, true. But I love the the fact that the film brought uh, back Harrison Ford uh, and Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill, Mark Hamill and oh, um, Billy D. Williams, Billy D. Williams, all of them. You know, so, but I did think that something that um, staff said yesterday that was really interesting was the way that the film tries to reconfigure questions of race so as to be more inclusive, but nonetheless ends up being quite racist in a way. Okay, go on. Well, the reason why is because, you know, it brings in a multiracial cast, right? Like, uh, um, Oscar Isaac is of Puerto Rican origin, you know, and then of course you have John Boyega who's really lovely in it and so on. He's British Nigerian, I think. Yeah, so the film does make a real effort to be inclusive and yet kind of inevitably structurally and so on. All these are really subordinate characters. I mean, you know, you're watching John Boyega who I think is a real film star. You know, he's very, very, in a way that Oscar Isaac isn't, right? So I think John Boyega is very, very charismatic to look at. You know, he's always kind of doing something interesting, but he's given less to do in this film than previously, actually. Yeah. Uh, You know, and then when he... And then often he is paired in a minor plot point with other people of color, right? Where, you know, so that Adam Driver and Daisy... Ridley. Ridley, yeah, kind of. Yeah, they take their roles as the king and queen of the universe in the story. So the film Um, pays lip service to a kind of an inclusiveness... Yeah, well, but then structurally puts them all to the side anyway. The trouble that I had really um, was that the character of Rose, who's played by Kenny Marie Tran, um, has so little to do in this. So the thing is, she and and Finn, which is um, uh, John Boyega, and Poe, which is uh, Oscar Isaac, they were all secondary characters mm-hmm. all along. But they did have kind of important plot points to pursue. And in this far less so and particularly Rose who whose entire job she for one thing they all go off on this thing where um, Ray says I'm going to go find this this Sith map that gets us to where we need to be and they're like right we're coming with you but Rose doesn't get to right at the start of the film Rose is just there babysitting like the the, the rebels who you don't really see much of right so so every now and again like maybe 50 minutes into the film, she shows up again and goes, and now what do I do? She gets to be told what to do by someone. She, she, I, I really felt bad for her 
as an actor and as a character. Like I, I didn't understand why she had not been able to be included in this in this great quest. Well, the film on. is already like two hours and twenty minutes long. But why couldn't she be part of the gang? You well, know? that's true. She is part of the gang. Yes. You know why can't she go off? Why can't she decide with with Finn and Poe? I'm coming with you because they because they're the ones who decide on their own. But we're coming with you. I think that- so. I found that very disappointing, and I don't think she's treated very well. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. Um, I also think that the film is oddly bifurcated. So, you know, that on the one hand, you have to bring in Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher and Billy Dee Williams, right? But you're only bringing them in to say goodbye to, right? You know, and then, like, the film moves in another direction, right? So there's, like, this kind of saying goodbye and this, like, doing something else. And, you know, and in the middle of that, people who had more important roles in the previous episode, like Oscar Isaacs and, like, John Boyega, are kind of lost yeah. here. Yeah. I know what you mean. Um, although I do think that that you know it ends up with that with that classic thing that we've seen in Star Wars before of the final fight happens in two parts. You've got the huge fight in space with all the starships yeah. shooting each other, and you've also got the small fight between the important characters that's going to decide mm. things. And I like the fact that in this, those are actually connected because um, the Emperor Emperor Palpatine, who has been you know kept alive in this zombified form. Basically says, if you want to stop all your, your friends dying, and he shows her, look, they're all dying. If you want to stop that, then you can take my place and become the next Sith Lord and stuff. Mm. And I like the I like that it actually drew those together. Um, but I do think that, in a sense, the film is a bit too slick for its own good. As I think I kind of intimated earlier, where I said that you don't ever really feel like they're going to fail at any point, even when things are going quite badly. I never got the feeling like this might not all work out you know it is it's a film in which it is all going one way essentially well whereas like i said in episode eight i really did get the feeling like i don't know how they're going to get out of this mind you i think we need a perspective really so because you know i was watching this film yesterday and i was thinking i don't care what people say you know these films these last few films are so vastly superior to the boring shit that George Lucas put out in the 90s. You know, that Ewan McGregor cycle. Like, it was... 90s and early 2000s. Yeah, it was like watching paint dry, really. It was yeah. just awful, really. Not a spark of life in the whole thing. No. Yeah. Whereas, you know, kind of, I think, these have their flaws, but I think they're brilliant, actually. You know, they're exciting to watch. They're funny. You know, they do all that little, you know, Wookiee and uh, robot-y humor. <laughs> You know, they and they also kind of try to, you know, make a joke of just appearances of people from different planets or bird life or, yeah, yeah. kind of, you know, I think kind of uh, um, the films are so much richer uh, and they're kind of richer kind of texturally, yeah, mm. you know, uh, um, and also they're richer in the sense that they bring up, you know, all the um, all the things that the series has become famous for, because you know the thing is that these are films that, on the one hand, might look like B movie stupid films, but they really ask all the important questions of life that you know, kind of that you know people normally go to religions for, right? Like, you know, what is life? What is destiny? What is fate? Who am I? <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know. What are my responsibilities? Do I have responsibilities? You know, do I fulfill my desires? Or, you know, kind of, should I be good? Right? Like, you know, yeah. the film really does have all those questions. I was, you know, they were very obvious last last night. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, so, um, so I think the film, 
you know, kind of posits all those questions or all those issues, it dramatizes them, you know, and it does so in a world that seems to have depth and richness and, you know, and that is exciting to watch and actually beautiful to watch. Some of the shots were just beautiful, I thought. Yeah, I agree. And I was I was surprised at how beautiful they were considering I, I don't have a really high opinion of J.J. Abrams as a as a kind of visual stylist in mm. some respects. Mm. I mean, I don't think he's... he's Bad. I mean, there are far worse uh, kind of visual storytellers than he is. But um, but I was surprised at the level of visual beauty, and I thought, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, the level I was getting into, yeah, just the look of it. Um, and there are shots. There are some of those beautifully composed shots that when, when they go into the 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 sort of uh, Palpatine's chamber on Exidor, Exid, Exidor, whichever one it is, and they go through this sort of very long. Uh, there's like a very low ceiling. Mm. To this, to this entrance passage, and it's shot from a very, very long way away, and it's just this like horizontal line I of saw blue that, beautiful, yeah. that, that, that illuminates them. And when the two of them are fighting over the um, uh, spaceship, when when Kylo Ren and Rey are force fighting over the spaceship that is carrying Chewie, you know, again, it's shot from this sudden angle, and it's and it's beautifully composed to yeah. emphasise good evil, the fight. And again, at the end, when um, when she is fighting. When she's fighting Palpatine, you get some of that. And when Palpatine shoots up into the sky, in fact, he, he shoots all that lightning up into the sky to, to damage, uh, incapacitate all of the rebel fighters. And, you know, that had this that beautiful symmetrical sort of thing, but it also had an element of light and dark in it, which, yes. I, I, which I think was trying to get at a kind of... Remember the Holdo suicide yes. moment from episode eight? I think it was trying to get some of that feeling of like a big space moment... Except the thing was in there, all the sound dropped out, and it was a hugely dramatic thing. Yes. And in here, the sound really ramps up. Yes. You know, it's like it has a kind of slightly different sensibility of how to emphasise itself. But I think it still worked. Yes, I mean, um, I thought the film, I thought all of that worked. It kind of it dramatised and it added texture. Um, and also, I think the film was very witty with the normal adventure stuff. Right, you know the the moment where they sink into that quicksand, right, and yeah. then kind of they they appear in the tunnel. I thought that was like witty and, and then fun. A and, worm and, yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, so and that actually felt very quote unquote classic Star Wars ish. Yeah. You go back to the original ones, and you go to back to the caper aspect of them. There was there was a sense of adventure and yeah. stuff, which which I think J.J. Abrams really gets the measure of here. Yes. You know, I think um, I mentioned this before that maybe I mentioned it on the on the episode eight podcast that the thing about J.J. Abrams, I think my brother told me is that he always says on set he's the kind of director who always says something to keep people motivated mm. and apparently he always says is it delightful ah. which you can totally see in his films like yes. what they're interested in is in the moment things have to delight their audience well what would Lubitsch say that's exactly it <laughs> yeah um, but I don't think that's always necessarily a positive thing because I think that, that that's something that in episode 7 I thought led to a level of lightness that made it actually kind of a little bit forgettable. I, you know, I think it's the worst of these of these new three films. Um, the Force Awakens was, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that's not saying that you can see Ryan Johnson asking in Episode Eight, but I think it's saying that would have you know been to its detriment because that yes. was, you know, you could, in a film that is going to such dark places, you can't be asking to delight people every second, you know. But well, I, so I think that's something that you feel here, that mm. sense of wanting an audience to be pleased at every moment. Yes. But it it works here, really works. I think it works, and I think it's very well done. 
You know, so we've had all these discussions about, you know, film comedy and how people only often rely on the verbal, right, or on situation. Was you know, this was full of visual humor. You know, like yeah. you know, the example that we gave of Richard, how Richard E. Grant dies. <laughs> that's a funny joke. It's visual, yeah. right? You know, it's not what he says. It's actually what you're shown happening to him that is the punchline, right? Yeah. So um, I I really um, appreciated all of that. Funny cuts as well. That the whole the whole situation with um, with C three PO, and how he says, you know, uh, you're never going to get me to open up my brain, and then and halfway through the sentence, cut, and there he is with his brain open. Yeah, yeah. Very very simple sort of basic uh, uh, comedy, but it really works. It got a good laugh. Mm. A lot of like, in fact, C three PO got good laughs. Yes. You know, and they and Every, was, everyone was with it. But yeah. also, he got he got that emotional moment because his whole thing is he's going to have to they arranged this sort of thing in the script where in order for them to find out where this map points, he has to basically replace his own memory and shut yes. himself down. And he has this moment where he gets to say goodbye to his friends. Yes. But um, not only was that surprisingly touching, but it, you get this huge close-up on, on C-3PO's face. And, you know, it made me think just for the first time in a long time, like, how 70s that character looks. Like, mm. it's such a... It, yeah, obviously it is. It comes from 1977. But it's such a f- funny sort of... Because technology has moved on so much and Star Wars is able to look so much more uh, sort of sort of wild than it, than it did in the past because there's so much more possibility for what you can make it do. But you're still stuck with this character that's basically made out of, like, a bin lid, mm. you know, in 1977. And there's something really charming about the way that looks because he, he has that kind of Robbie the Robot thing, mm. you know, like that really stilted 50s almost sort of, sort of robot design where... Um, he moves in silly ways, and there's clearly a man in there who can't doesn't really have any freedom of movement. Mm. You know, I, I, I don't know. Steve Pierre in this was much more charming, just in the way he looked and moved than uh. I felt he has been for a long time. So, um, what were your what, what do you see as the film's faults? Well, I, like I say, I think there is. Well, we've talked about um, uh, about the kind of racial representation. Um, issue or if not representation then inclusion mm. um, you know I, th- I think we've agreed that that's kind of a fault I, I, I thought it was a problem in a sense uh, I suppose to go along with that that um, not only did Rose not have a part to play in basically anything but also uh, a different woman of colour was introduced sort of in her place mm. the, the the girl who was previously a stormtrooper as well and she yeah. connects with John Boyega like again yeah. there's a there's a point to that but it didn't seem all that necessary when when Rose was being sidelined. Mm. So there's nothing that I didn't like. Um you know I did have issues initially like I say with the with the idea that they're throwing away so much of what made the previous film so interesting mm. because the previous film was not well liked by the fans and you know there are clear kind of kind of like I say sops to them. There's another element which was um in episode seven, it was when Han and Leia uh, reconnect. Mm. Um, there was a whole big thing online about how Chewie didn't get a hug, you know, because Chewie's an old friend as well. Why wasn't he involved? And in this film, that's re- that's that's uh, sort of fixed to the degree that he gets to cry dramatically when he learns that Leia's died. It was so yes. much, yeah. you know. Again, that felt like for the fans, yeah, yeah. Chewie's going to cry over Leia, oh. you know. So there are there are times when you go, oh, I can see what the machinations have been here to mm. 
you know, because you because you didn't want to piss people off, and then you know, and then you end up with with the fans apparently going, oh, I'm not interested. Because I think the thing is, episode eight is the thing about episode eight was let's the film going, let's take it really seriously, and and do something interesting, and then the fans went, no, 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 it wasn't what I wanted, and so in this film it was more of kind of okay, let's stop taking it so seriously, let's have fun again. And then the fans again seem to be going. It's not what I wanted. So you can't. You can't well, basically, you can't please the fans. Well, and also, you know, uh, <gasps> who are the fans? Because I think actually that the audience is much bigger than the self-designated fans yeah, I, yeah. and vocal fans. Um, so I think my only problem, well, my major problem, though it's not so much of a problem. But anyway, I wish I love that. You know, the film is now focused on a woman. I wish that Daisy Ridley were a better actress. I agree with you. Because she really fails in her big moments, right? Like, she comes across as really one-dimensional and kind of wooden, Mm. right? Um, So, and, you know, people are always comparing her to Kyra Knightley. I thought Kyra Knightley, even in her first films, was a million times better than that. Kyra Knightley. Kyra Knightley. And more charismatic as well, right? So, So there is something... You know, so on the one hand, great that the figure is a woman. You know, on the other hand, I did wish they cast better, really. You know, because, you know, she doesn't have the charisma of a film star to me. And she certainly doesn't have the acting chops to kind of flesh out her big moments. You know, so that's there's something a little bit empty in the middle of all of this. I agree with you. Um, but I, I thought it was interesting because you wrote you put on Facebook about it and the whole conversation started and one of your friends spoke of the film's easy feminism which I thought was a really interesting phrase because you know we've talked about about its uh, use of people of colour and characters of colour and the issues we have there but there isn't a single question that it makes sense to have a woman at the centre of this story mm. and to have female characters be so important. And, and you know, so the idea that it's it's feminist but easily feminist mm. is a really interesting one, I think. Like, uh-huh. it's, it's a kind of... It's it's a very casual, easy success yes. in that respect. That's interesting, though. I mean, I'll have to think about that more. I hadn't seen that, that comment. Uh, must have, you know, been lost in a thread. Um... I think it's interesting, though, that, you know, when you looked at the, f- the first films were so much about Harrison Ford and uh, uh, Mark Hamill. Mark, Mark Hamill. I think, you know, uh, uh, Princess Leia was, oh, sure, you know, she was the adventurous princess and mm. she joined in the action. But she was still, in some ways, in quotation marks, the girl in the film. So, yeah. you know, um, so I think, you know, there is something quite marvelous about you know, how as time has gone by, you know, the women have become more and more central. You know, mm. I think even in the George Lucas, you know, late 90s, early uh, 2000s ones. Uh, and this seems to be like a kind of a culmination. I really mm. like that. So it might be easy feminism in the sense that, you know, you, the concept of what the hero is really hasn't changed and actually doesn't deal very much with the fact that it is now a woman. Yeah. <laughs> right. But nonetheless, it's kind of you know significant and important and kind of thrilling. That's to see kind that of what I mean. I didn't mean easy in the sense of it's a kind of it's a kind of uncritical or um, unchallenging version of feminism. I think it probably is, but um, I meant easy in the sense of it. You don't you don't think oh why does she have to be like for instance in episode seven the uh. first one that J.J. J. Abrams did there was quite a lot of 
um, dialogue in which Ray would say something that was quite actively sort of, uh, you know, I don't need your help oh, type sure. of thing. Sure. You know, trying to prove herself in this world sort of thing, which I think was really making a point. That's, this one doesn't have any of that. She just is who she is. Yeah. That's, that's what I mean, easy. It's kind of, it's just smooth. It, yes. You know. um, though, my God, you know, in the context of, you know, all those fan interactions that were, were so mm. misogynist and disgusting, like people so hated the fact you know the, the you know the 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 action mm. uh, 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 figure in this film was now a woman. You know it's kind of you know actually to be fair the the, mo- the most misogynist and aggressive things were towards Kelly Marie Tran who plays Rose to the point oh. where she'd like deleted her internet accounts and things because it was so vile and and I hadn't thought about it but maybe that's a reason that she has a reduced role in this. Maybe she even uh. asked for that because she didn't want that again. Right. Yeah, maybe. Okay. You know, the whole thing about the race and the gender and is to me kind of signified by the sexuality, you know, because the internet has been full of, oh, there's a gay character in Star Wars. Is a gay... And you think, fucking shit. Like, you know, you, you have to look, keep your eyes peeled for these extras in the background who kiss, right? Like, that's all. Right? Like, it's extras. Yeah. <laughs> I was, you know, I was thinking, oh my God, you know, like maybe the Oscar Isaacs character or somebody like that is going to, you know, be shown to have a partner. No, it's some fucking extras. (laughs) Like, you know. But but the other thing is, they weren't in the background, they were given their own shots. Notice these two women kissing and then cut away. Oh right, you know, okay. you know well, what I mean? Like it's slightly out of focus. I mean, really? No, they were. You know. It was the, the it was a it was a second long shot that was I all think. about them, and then you move on. You, you know, know but it, but that's but I think that kind of points to the same thing. There was a kind of corporate level of of inclusivity in that. You know, it's just like he, okay. So, well, just, well, I suppose we're saying the same thing because you know, yeah. in a film world where you can have Jabba the Hutt, you know, have a major <laughs> role, but you have to you know put two women kissing as like extra a close you know extras given a close up okay yeah exactly you know i mean really <laughs> but i was surprised how much i liked it cuz my, my brother saw it on opening night he saw it like a midnight screening mm. and he came out uh, and i i said you know don't tell me anything obviously but he was basically in a bit uh i, I wouldn't even say disappointed i think he just sounded um I don't know, resigned or like he was over it. I suppose, in a sense, that I went into this with slightly lower expectations than I otherwise would because I had found out in the previous couple of days that it was directed uh, by J.J. Abrams, where I thought it was <laughs> Ryan Johnson. <laughs> and so I would have had much higher expectations. So maybe that kind of helped me enjoy it more and it helped me get into the swing of things. Because, like I say, you know, once I, once I realised, okay, you're throwing away a lot of interesting stuff, that's disappointing. But then, you know, you, you're obviously doing. Uh, a much more unimaginative thing, but I think it did all of the unimaginative stuff really well. Yeah, it did like an, a really well-made caper, you know, good versus evil. The bad people become good. All this, you know, all that stuff, which none of it I think is very original. I don't think it makes really any moves that you don't really expect it to, other than maybe, I suppose, the, the revelation that Ray is a Palpatine is kind of an interesting one. Like they haven't, they they haven't made a someone who you've heard of, they made it like the most important sort of, mm. you know, powerful thing. So I guess that's kind of interesting. But, you know, again, didn't really go into places I didn't expect it to, but I was still happy with the way it went into those places. Mm. I think it worked, you know, it told its story very well. Mm. And I felt for its characters. And I, you know, and I think at the end it has, you know, it, uh, it does a whole Dunkirk thing at the end. Yes. They're ordinary people, sir, in all their boats, you know, which was kind of nice. Although it's... I think the Star Wars music, it plays the theme over that 
failed. I mean, that felt completely flat to me. Mm. It's supposed to feel so triumphant, and it didn't. I've been seeing these films since I was 15 years old, right? Yeah. And um, and it's interesting because I didn't really love the first one. You know, my favorite was the second one. Mm. Um, and then, you know, when I was when I was in grad school, I saw them all again, you know, kind of killing time <laughs> while watching the VHS. Then, you know, I saw all of the George Lucas uh, middle cycle, even disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, you know. And actually, this last three is really the ones I've liked most, really. And um, and this one in particular, I kind of, you know, I'm not claiming it's a great masterpiece or even that it's a great film. But, you know, I had a really good time watching it. I really enjoyed it. I thought it felt like a big budget spectacular. It's still you know, contained all the mythos, you know, uh, that, that kind of uh, um, enable its audience to almost treat it like a religion, to read all kinds of important things mm. into it, to kind of, you know, it's like a little rubric or a structure through which kind of people understand their own lives. That's still all there. It had romance, which, you know, to me was important, right? And it was believable. You know, I kind of, I loved the whole you know, Adam Driver, Daisy uh, Ridley kind of thing going from one dimension to another through what they share. And I thought all of that was lovely. So, so really, I think it's, uh, uh, it's one of my, my favorites, really. I enjoyed it. Would you, would you still sort of agree with me, though, that the romance, as obvious as it is, as it is by the end that they are, that they have this, they have a real romantic bond between them, I think. Mm. Um, it is still downplayed or played in a certain way that means you can mistake it for something else or or that it's kind of subtle like it because it's not really flat out it's well it's not at all flat out romance it's it's about beliefs and 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 a kind of bond but no it's also about uh, i would argue that it is very much about romance but it's in the romance of ethical and moral considerations right so she says i would have taken your hand as ben mm. but not as Kylo Ray. Kylo Ray, right? So all of that stuff is going on. It is about kind of having feelings for the other person, but having feelings for the other person, you know, yeah. in within ethical and moral conflicts, right? Like, I'm not going to join your thing. I have my own thing. Yes, you're trying to steal this from me. Or, yeah, but on the, on the other hand, they're tied to each other, right? Mm. You know, so... Um, and And mind you, you know, kind of, that has always been part of the Star Wars world. I remember like Princess Leia and Luke Skywalker are tied, they're twins, yeah. right? They, sh you know, they don't know it, but they share things, right? So, you know, that could have been done in that way. It's just, you know, I mean, a, a, another storyline might have turned that into a brotherhood or a sisterhood, mm. but this is much more than that, you know, there, it is. Yeah. So I think it's there. Um, you know, I think it's there in a really interesting ways because that's not the end in itself. You know, there are things that are more important than feelings or or love or sex. You know, there are worlds at stake, right? <laughs> well, if anything, the feelings are what gets in the way of that. Yeah. You know, if anything, if the feelings weren't there, things would be a lot easier for the two characters to fight and, and exactly. disagree with each other and all the rest. So. And I liked, I, I don't know about you, I liked when they all just hugged for a long time at the end, you know, I thought yes. they deserved it, frankly. Yes. You know. It's been like, what, 40, 
two years, so they deserve a hug. <laughs> yeah. Well, just all the characters who, you know, I, I did. I must say, I didn't like actually Billy D. Williams. I didn't like it. I mean, not so much him as an actor as a performance, but I, I, I don't care enough about Lando Calrissian, and he had such a big part, and he had one of those lines of dialogue that I found very clunky, where they go back, you know, they they want to go back and rescue. Uh, Finn and the girlies with who are about to die and then he goes ah but the Millennium Falcon's faster don't you remember from the old films I mean the thing is he, was a lot, he had a lot of that he had a lot of remember me yeah I think I think the problem with that character is that it felt tokenistic yeah you know it was kind of you know you have to bring him back but it's not because he was so significant you know to the earlier films it's because he's the only black major figure you know, in the whole of the series. I suppose. I mean, it didn't feel to me like they had to bring him back because he was never, as you say, a major figure at all. I don't, and I don't, I don't, I don't know that it felt that, that him being a black person had anything to do with that. I think it just brought it back because he could. No, I think, I think, I think had, had the same character been played by, you know, some 70s supporting star white supporting star they would they wouldn't have been they wouldn't have brought him back i mean okay. you know well the the three protagonists really are carrie fisher you know uh, uh, and harrison ford and mark hamill for sure right so they kind of you know it's a goodbye thing right mm. i i think and this is what i mean that bringing billy d williams is tokenistic because i think if he hadn't been you know, that major black figure mm. in the franchise before the John Boyega character. Um, mm. Well, that's not true. Like, cause, well, um, no, I think you probably are about right. I mean, who else is there? There was Samuel Jackson. Samuel he wasn't, Jackson. He wasn't really major. He, yeah, he wasn't. Um, so so I think that's why it feels Yeah. I know what you mean. Artificial. I'm not sure that I agree with you, but I can certainly see your argument. Anyway, um, the character is extraneous to the narrative. Yeah. Right. Yeah, both, yeah. So then you have to ask, well, why are you bringing him back? You know, um, so and I, and I suppose maybe because you know there might it might very well be because black audiences have the same kind of affection for that character as everybody else does for Carrie Fisher or Harrison Ford. I don't know, you know. So that would be enough of a good reason. But you know, it felt tokenistic to me. Yeah, I think generally people have, you know, whether black or white or whatever, people have uh, fond memories of Lando. He was a kind of fondly people enjoyed him. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. But, but yeah, he's he, not. He's not he had, a major. He had, he had that again, like JJ Abrams thing of going. Remember the past. Remember the seventies. Remember when we grew up. Let's yes. do it all again. And that's how you get Donald Trump. <laughs> anyway, I might make the point more elegantly. The thing about that <laughs> character is everybody is fond of him. It's true. I mean, Billy Dee Williams was a joy, but he's just not a central character. Yeah, you know. So. Uh, um, so, you know, this whole attempt at kind of giving him so much space in this particular film has, I think, the opposite of the intended effect, which is instead of being inclusive, it just feels tokenistic. Yeah. I wonder, right. how, much, um, I wonder how much money it's made. A lot. One, one would assume. I think it's made um, $340 million or something in its opening week or weekend. Let's have a look. Domestic... Uh, 175 worldwide, everything included, 373 so far. There you go. And it's on a 250 to 300 million dollar budget, I think. Yes. Um, so it's a very expensive film, and it's it it looks it. 
Well, it'll be interesting to see because the thing about Star Wars, in comparison to other major, major franchisey, Hollywoody, Marvely, all the rest, is Star Wars has always been much more US centric in its market. Yes, you know, it's always done less well outside the US than these other films do. Um, <coughs> I'm not sure that's any longer true. I, I mean, think, I certainly in my experience, like. Uh, my God, you 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 know you don't get like worse Star Wars fanatics than in England, you know, and it's huge in Spain, and you know I can't think of a country where it isn't huge actually. No, no, it's huge everywhere, but in comparison to you know if you look at, like the proportion of its box office, US compared to the rest of the world is much higher mm. for, for stars, and I think it still is than than it is for things like Marvel and things, which have a which have a stronger kind of worldwide reach in a sense. Mm. I mean, think about think about. Um, about Americans, for me, is like they don't—they they never seem to realise what a great, you know, great artist they have. All the film artists, or people like Jackson Pollock or Mark Twain, all these great, and they just go, "No, it's all Star Wars. We're Star Wars is the only thing we've ever done." Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. I'm not sure that's true. Anyway, um, so last words. I liked it, and you know, I think um, I don't care who it disappoints because I had a really good time with it, and and I think it's a cracking, adventurey, capery, you know, with lots of lots of wit and humour yes. and drama and fighting in space. Choo-choo. Excellent. Thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify to listen to. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. Uh-huh. And the uh, website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs>